know all about the trademark backflip. But I want to know about what drives the fierce, loyal family girl from Perth. She's the captain of our Matildas, a leader on a mission for World Cup glory. Football prodigy, soccer superstar. To me, she's the queen of the onion bag. We need to get some ground rules for our, for our chat today. We're going to start with the, the hard-hitting stuff and then it just gets easier and easier from there. But do you call it soccer or football? I personally call it football. If I'm talking to an AFL person, I would definitely say soccer because start an argument. Um... Does it cause problems ever? Oh, in my family, probably. Yeah. <laughs> they still call it soccer. And I think it's just when I'm overseas and in, like, European countries and that, everyone calls it football. So if yeah. I say soccer, they think I'm American, you know, because they're all into the yeah, soccer. Right. So, <laughs> good. That's a good, that's a good accent. I like that. <laughs> um, in talking to various people about um, sitting down with you and chatting today, the word everyone re was reaching for was superstar. It was either... She's a superstar, she's going to be a superstar, she's the next big superstar. How does that make you feel and how... or how would you describe yourself? Oh, <laughs> I hate talking about myself, but, um... Yeah, I think, you know, I've, I've put in a lot of work and sacrificed a lot to get where I am, so for people to be saying about that about me is obviously um, really humbling. I guess depends who's saying it, though. <laughs> um, but, no, yeah, I've put in a lot of work. I've pretty much given up my life to be a footballer and it's nice to finally see the rewards coming through. I battled a few injuries in the start of my career, but in a team environment, I see myself as just as one of the other teammates and um, I think that's worked really well for me over the years. It's allowed me to just be who I am on the field and perform to the best of my ability because I feel no pressure and I just go out there and do what I love. Feel no pressure? That must be nice. <laughs> you must have done something different to the rest of us. Tell me about starting out. Were you, were you always ambitious? Or when did you kind of have a sense in yourself that you had that talent to, to go to a, another level? Yeah, I think for me it was super late. It was really unique. Um, I kind of shot into, you know, the Matildas, young Matildas really quickly, so I didn't really have time to think about what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. And I always wanted to play AFL when I was a kid, so at the start it was... You know, soccer was, or football was kind of... <laughs> so I knew this would... I knew it would rear its head, this soccer-football thing. It was soccer, because we're talking about AFL. Yep. Um, In your yeah, previous it always, life. it always was second best to me. I still thought I'd play for the West Coast Eagles. And, you know, it wasn't natural for me to play with the ball at your feet. It was always in your hands and still now around home. I don't kick the ball around a soccer ball. I've always right. got the footy at home. Wow. Um, I think it's just a family thing and, yep. you know snapping the ball down the hallway, seeing if it can go in the <laughs> your parents' door or whatnot. But, um, yeah, the challenge for me was the best part is learning to just use your feet. And I love, you know, the challenge of scoring a goal is so hard, so the, the feeling when you finally score a goal to me is, is something, like, you can never replicate anywhere else. You know, you can score a wonderful AFL goal, but in 10 seconds no-one cares about it. Yeah. As a forward, it's... I think it's, you know, you're either the hero or zero. And... That's what I love about it, is that there's that fine line between having a good game and a bad game, and you can not touch the ball for 90 minutes and in the 91st minute you've scored the winner and <laughs> everyone forgets yeah. about it. And that's why I love it so much, is because one little moment can change the game so much. And I guess until I really had 
football soccer taken away, taken away from me when I did my ACL in um, 2011, just after the World Cup, I realised that, you know, I'm, you know, I've got to become a professional athlete now if this is what I want to do. And yeah. I think that's the first time I had a real drive to become the best female soccer player in the world. Do you I, look at it as a blessing now, in oh, hindsight? Gosh, I needed that. I needed an injury like that for sure. I needed a wake-up call. I needed a kick up the butt. I was overweight. I was unfit. I was. I literally was there because natural. I had a lot of natural ability and yeah. was probably running at about 75% and could keep up with other kids. But I think that's the first time when I really started to knuckle down. And I was really lucky. I had really good people in my life that could see that but still stuck around. And... You know, as much as I thought I didn't need football, I needed the people that were my teammates, I needed the coaches, I needed everything about it. Um, and, yeah, that was that was the hardest part, is being in the gym and, you know, seeing on on the internet or your friends on a away trip or yeah. things like that. So that was, the, that was the hardest part, is being lonely. FOMO, I think. The, oh, the, yeah, FOMO, the, for the, sure. The kids call it. And I have terrible FOMO. <laughs> What's the significance of the number 20? Is there, is my, am I reading too much into that or is, there, <laughs> is, it a, is it a number for any special reason? Nah, I went to the World Cup in, must have been 2011, and I was one of the youngest players and someone gave it to me and I remember I was so upset when I got the number. I was like, you know, I wanted number four, <laughs> my dad had worn four, my brother had worn four. But I just thought to myself, you know, when you give numbers out, it's kind of like, you know, senior players and then the best players get their number. Yeah. And So I was like, OK, I've got the last number and it was just kind of a point to me where I was going to be like, all right, I'm going to make this mine and I'm going to make it a well-known number and it's going to have something unique about it and it's going to yep. be my thing. And you don't see many big athletes wearing number 20. So for me, it was just my own my own thing that I yep. could make mine. And, yeah, I love it now. I can't ever see myself in another number. Well, you're making it your own. Uh, with Daniel being the older brother, so by my rough mathematics, you would have been 13, thereabouts, in 2006 when the Eagles win the Premiership. <laughs> you're an Eagles supporter. Your older brother is part of this glamorous midfield group in a two-team town and they win the premiership. What, 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 tell me about what that was like. Yeah, it was unbelievable, obviously, but, you know, I was that type of fan. I used to cry when the Eagles would lose. So I was even... If Dan Daniel didn't play, I was a die-hard fan. You the were, year before, I was yeah. cried for three days um, after they lost. And how yeah. mad? Like, what are we like? Oh, I used to go in the full kits, socks. Kit. Was shorts. there any face paint at any stage? Oh, a few games, but that's I was in like the, the high. That's like the highest <laughs> ranking. I was in the cheer squad. Wow. Oh yeah, I was okay, down yeah. the front with the band. Oh, that, you were like at the, that's the top of the tree. Were you were you there on the grand final day? Both of them. Yeah. Both of them. Yep. What are, your, what are your memories of I was of in the, the cheer squad. Of course, yeah, wow. Someone's <laughs> got to... Those floggers won't <laughs> throw themselves. Waving my flag. So you were in there? Wow. Yep, I was in there. You strike me as, as, as laid back as you are. You clearly take <laughs> what you do very, very seriously and maybe that's... In your, in your more private moments. Have you got something written down? Rocky Balboa used to have a picture of his opponent on his mirror. I know that's a fictional movie character, but is there something of the World Cup that you have at home that reminds you of what's on the horizon? You know what, I don't 
have anything on the wall, but I write in a journal yep. um, just so that I can go back on it and hold myself accountable. I had cause... a hunch. You, I had a hunch you would be something. You'd keep <laughs> something. Oh, I, I don't know. I, I never liked goal setting as a team, but I love it personally. Yeah. Um, and I think it, that's because as a team, it's kind of situational and. Yeah. Um, it can be a bit dangerous too, I think. Yeah, and like, oh, you don't reach this goal. Whereas I, I really do it, I love doing it by myself more for the fact that you hold yourself accountable. Yep. I guess I write a lot of things down about what I want and um, I love to visualise what I'm yep. going to do. And some people think that's bad, but I know I might be psychic because... <laughs> you feel, yeah, you yeah, feel like I it's feel a Yeah, I feel like, oh, I'm going to score like a volley today. And I visualised the yep. night before and then... Yeah, I visualise a lot and yeah. do a lot of... I'm not visualisation, but when I, I find myself a lot thinking about my performance or yeah. training. I don't think that's crazy at all. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a pretty broad question, I suppose, but can you describe the sense of pride to represent the country? Yeah, it's an unbelievable feeling, I think. Um, when you're out there singing the national anthem, knowing that it's for such bigger things than you or the team or what you're doing right in that moment, it yeah. is an unbelievable experience. And there's honestly moments in the national anthem where you think you could almost cry. Um, last year, we'll be played in front of 17,000 people at um, Newcastle for the first time. It was an unbelievable experience. It was kind of the turning point for the Matildas. And yeah. to be out there and just kind of know finally that this is what we've wanted for years and years and we finally changed the Australian public's view on women's yeah. football is, is a huge thing. So, yeah, I think that's the thing I'll miss the most when I when I retire is that feeling of, of pride and... Yeah. Um, representing others. Yeah, and... representing something much bigger than just yourself. Yeah. So. When the ball goes into the back of the net, you can just settle an argument for the for the crew here today. I use the phrase, "You put it in the back of the onion bag." Is that something? Is that a phrase you're familiar with? Because I got I got blank looks with the crew here today. Yeah, I've never heard. You've never heard that either. <laughs> That's something you could take to the to the World Cup. Was to put the in onion the back bag. Of, in the back of the onion That's bag. It's pretty Aussie. The Americans might love that. See, in that. Chicago. They love their onion rings. Uh, you, you mentioned sacrifices before. What are some of the tangible sacrifices you've had to make? You, you're in a professional environment at 15. That's 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 quite extraordinary. That's kind of off the off the radar a little bit. <laughs> yeah. For me, I'm a huge family person. So the biggest sacrifice for me is I've lived out of home now for seven years. So yep. I've been out of home since I was 18, I think. And you know, I've missed birthdays, births, funerals, and things that you can't really get back. So for me, that's that's the biggest sacrifice. You know, I, I don't mind missing, you know, parties and, you know, being home, but it's it's those moments when you think, oh, is this all worth it? Because yeah. you're giving up things that you can never get back. And I'm really lucky that there's a Perth Glory team, so I get to spend four months at home with my family. I have little nieces now running around, so they've yeah. been alive for six years and I've been around for four months out of every of those six years. Yeah. So. It's difficult, but other than that, this is what I love, so everything kind of comes second to it and everyone around me knows that, so I'm really lucky that everyone supports me and flies all over the world to watch us play. No mention of missing blue light discos. Is that, would have, that would have been the thing that most 15-year-olds would have missed when I was growing up. That, that you sort of you, you sidestepped all oh, that. All I'm that a terrible teenage... dancer. Right, OK. <laughs> I'm an excellent dancer as it happens, but that's OK.
how do you feel about the idea of role models in sport and do you see yourself as one in it? But um, are you comfortable with that? I actually am. I, um, I'm pretty proud to be a role model and, like, you don't really understand it, I guess, when you're growing up about representing yourself well, but, like, in the last year, the change in kids recognising the Matildas, kids recognising me, what kids send you in fan mail. And when I was growing up, I didn't have any female people that I could connect with. It was all AFL players and yeah. cricket players that were men. The only person I looked up to as a female um, athlete when I was a kid was Kathy Freeman. Yeah. She was such a strong person and, like, the pressure she had and mm. just the way she did that last race is, you know... I've watched it a million times probably yeah. on YouTube. It's just an unbelievable thing. And But now there's cricket, there's rugby, there's basketball, there's netball, there's soccer that young girls can look up to. And I think that's the cool part about it is sport is a really safe place now for young girls growing up. Whereas when I was a kid, I used to play with the boys and luckily I had short hair because, you know, they hated when I, they found out I was a girl and hated the girl, a girl playing. And even parents on the sideline used to hate that there was a girl playing in, yeah. in the team. So now girls have the opportunity to, you know, strive to be someone or be somewhere um, and feel comfortable going to a, a girls team. And Well, the world, the world has changed quite a lot and you, you <laughs> would know this a lot better than I would. And the, the boom in, you know, in the AFLW space is kind of... Caught everyone off guard. That the swell of participation and interest and the spotlight on it. Is there a tiny little bit of, you know, hey, the Matildas have been doing. We've been doing this for a while. We've been doing this pretty, like welcome, like, welcome to the party. Oh, a little bit at the start. We're like, yeah, we've been here. We're, you know, we're fifth in the world and sixth in the world, and you know, a little bit. But at the same time, to be honest, most of us are friends because. People have gone to AFL or soccer yeah. from other sports, so we all know each other somehow. But um, yeah, it's just awesome. I remember watching the Carlton game, the first ever AFLW game, being sold out, and yeah. I was jealous. I was like, "Gosh, we've been waiting for this for hap to happen yeah. for years," and the AFL just popped up a week ago and put on a women's league, and now they've got twenty thousand people there. I was, you know, I was jealous. So that's what I mean when we finally got that crowd there and changed the public on women's football. Yep. It was an unreal experience and I think that's a really cool thing about the Matildas is that the public is really on our side and um, the positive vibes around the Matildas is something like I've never seen before in women's sport. What about the broader issues in sport? You've been outspoken and really brave about speaking about things, women's equality, sexuality in women's sport, mm -hmm. those things. Is that something you feel a sense of purpose with or is it or is, is it almost a burden? It's a tough question. It's, it's a bit of both because, you know, I, I don't want to talk about it as women's sport and equal. I just want to talk about it as sport and yeah. that's where I think it can be a bit of a burden. So for me, it, it's a really tough situation and that's why I think talking about, you know, the pay gap and all that type of stuff is a really touchy subject because you can't just go out there and say, oh, we want the same as the men. Um, you've got to be really honest with yourself. You've got to give a little to get a little. And I think the Matildas have done that really well in the last few years is we've really put ourselves out there as a brand so that people can invest in us and people can spend money to come see us. And I think, you know, one day there will be a much smaller gap, but you've got to go in steps. You can't go from, you know, yeah. 
zero to 100 in, in a day and I think that's the important part and that's the part that we want to get across to people is we're not asking to be paid $400 million like the men. We're just yeah. asking to get a Yet. pay that we can live off and yep. be professional athletes off to grow our sport. It's just a vicious cycle if you're paying zero dollars to try and get better and you're working another job. But the main thing for me is just, I guess, paying people for what they do and what they give up. And at times, people are playing for free. I want to talk about family and you've in already you've sort of touched on it. The lure of Europe, um, and you've stayed in Perth, <laughs> and it seems, is, is family the, is family the, the only reason? Um, it's a big reason. It's probably more than half of the reason why I stayed, but also I think for my best development in football, I play really well at Gloria because I'm really comfortable, you know, I have, access to a lot of different people that I can work out with or help, you know, get the best out of me. And I think when I play at Glory, I get lots of confidence to then go into the national team and, and play well. So as much as, you know, people say football's everything, for me, without my off-field life, I wouldn't be who I am on the field. If I was... Some people can just football, 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 and I can't do that. I, once I leave training, I, I switch off and I go home and I, I don't talk about it, I don't... Yep. You know, I like to be my own self and... You kind I of like, need that balance. Yeah. But I, the, the, you see a direct, a direct relationship between your personal happiness and the performance? Oh, if I'm not happy, I don't play well and everyone, yep. everyone can see that. Everyone who knows me knows that. Yep. And I find myself too, when I get caught up in a referee or I get angry at a decision that, you know, I can be lost in a game for 10, 15 minutes and that's because I'm just like such an emotional person and I guess, yeah, if I'm... That's why I struggled a little bit the first few years in America is I was living out of home, didn't know yeah. how to cook for myself, was a bit, you know, yeah, a bit uncomfortable. So for me, it's... If I'm happy, I, I can you, forget all. Have you been able to find some happiness, comfort in the States? Oh, yeah, I love America now. Your dad coached football. You must have been a, a young girl <laughs> then, but... What are your memories of that? Was that were you around the club? Did you did you sort of soak up that atmosphere as a little as a little girl? Yeah. Well, me and Mum were actually talking about this the other day. It's funny because I was like, "What? I used to be such a weirdo. I used to go to footy. Dad would pick me up from school. We'd go to South Freo training, and I wouldn't get home till nine o'clock. And I was like to Mum, "What did I used to do there? Like, I just used to walk around and pick the balls up for the boys and." give them to my dad and then dad would have meetings and I'd just sit there and listen and I knew everything about South Freo at the time and I loved it but me and mum were laughing so hard because I probably never did homework. I was just at the footy club with my dad. Um, Doing a different kind of homework, mate. <laughs> yeah. Daniel's coaching too. Oh, is he? Who's he coaching? Thornley. Oh, right. So he plays one week and then coaches the next because he's too old. <laughs> That's a way to do it. One week He on loves one. it though. Oh, cool. Yeah. And he's getting fit. Yeah, right. that's good. <laughs> so such a close-knit family. Daniel having such a, an amazing career, having achieved so much, and then having some serious troubles of his own mm -hmm. more recently. How did that affect you, f first of all, as his sister, and then, and then secondary 
as a as an athlete. Yeah, well, Daniel would tell you himself, I didn't speak to him for two years. Um, and all our family's close, but me and Daniel are super close, you know. Yep. Um, yeah, I didn't speak to him for two years and he always says that's the thing that kind of brought me back onto the road is that everyone kind of spoke to me except you. Um, and I just really needed that reassurance that things were going to go back to normal and that's what hurt me the most is that, you know, when you do things that affect yourself, it also affects other people. You know, I had to watch my mum and dad, you yeah. know, be stressed out about their 30-year-old son, which, you know, isn't normal. And, um, yeah, it, it affected me. I'm pretty... I'm pretty, I guess, tough in the sense that I, I don't let things bother me, but seeing my parents have to deal with it was probably the hardest thing, and that's why... And the why public I'm... nature, I guess. Yeah, that, that sucked, but at the end of the day, you don't care about what media is saying when there is a serious issue yeah. in your family, so... So after the two years, was it a single moment or was it a sort of a stage of things that...? Yeah, stage of things and he got himself on the right path, got a job, moved into a house and got back in his kid's life, which was the main thing for me, so... Yeah, it wasn't easy for him and he always says if it wasn't for me, he probably would still be out there being an idiot, yeah. but... um. Yeah, he's been doing really well now, but I remember I was at the World Cup and my media person called me aside and said, oh, your brother's, you know, got in trouble in Perth if they ask you any questions. So I'm straight on the phone to my mum and I'm like, why didn't you tell me? Like, and she's mm. like, I wasn't going to tell you before a game. Yeah. Do you kind of look at the, the World Cups now on, in that sense of, you know, Daniel not being able to go four years ago to, to this year where things are at, how quickly how quickly life can change. <laughs> yeah, it, it does go really quickly and, you know, it also goes really slowly. Like, when he was in that bad period, it felt like, you know, days were months and <laughs> months were years. But, yeah, I think last time he we went to the World Cup, he actually had his passport or something taken, so he couldn't leave the yeah. country. Um, but now he's coming to France, he's paying for his kids to come and life's just completely changed, so it's great. It's it's good and, like he said, he learnt the lesson the hard way and it was good for me. Now I know, you know, what not to do and yeah. um, how to behave and, you know, what, what it can do to your life and what he's had to do to kind of get his reputation back. All athletes and all, <laughs> all teams have they've always got a point to prove. Is, is this, the, is this the, the obvious thing on the horizon for you of staking a claim? Yeah, we want to win the World Cup, but, you know, if it was easy to win it, everyone would have done it. And, you know, we haven't really gone further than the quarterfinals, so we won't, you know, start off talking too big about ourselves. We just want to make the semifinals and, to be honest, just get out of our group. Anything can happen in football, and I've seen crazier things happen in the Men's World Cup. Germany just yeah. got knocked out. So, you know, we've just got to focus on what's in our control and be the best team we can be, then no-one can stop us. We've proved that in the last two years, beating USA, Japan, all the teams. Do you get a sense of the expectation outside the team's walls? There seems to be... There's, there's quite a lot of buzz around and optimism around the Matildas. Yeah, I think... What you guys could achieve? I think you'd, we'd be lying if we said, you know, that hadn't really affected us over the last year. You know, we went from here to there in a year and then we had we didn't lose a game in 20, 2017 and then everyone was talking about us and that's the first time ever that you know we've had mainstream media talking about us all the time yeah. girls getting sponsorship deals and i think last year we we didn't have the worst year but we didn't have as good a year as 2017 and that was the first time we've all had to experience that pressure and yeah. people coming to the games and they're being like talk about if we had a bad game normally everyone was just talking good things about us yeah. 
So I'm glad it happened in 2017, yeah, not the World a, Cup. Yeah, might be a good preparation. But um, I think we learnt a lot this year and we, we grew a lot as a team off the field, so it's a good time to do it the year before a World Cup. Well, I mean, you're a superstar in a in a in a superstar team that we've got such high hopes for. Thanks for Thank having you. us in the Perth Soccer Club home. We had Margaret on the front door welcome us in, and <laughs> we had Victor, the the groundsman, give us the the nice tour. But the the country's right behind you. Um, we're so excited for you and your and your teammates. I've just got one last question though. That. You're famous for the backflip. <laughs> is it total confidence with the backflip or is there even moments just before you launch into it that you think, goal, I'm not quite sure I'll land this one? Nah, it's total confidence normally, but there's there's been a few times where I've been like, oh, I'm about to do it, and I'm like, nah, the run-up's gone. You weren't feeling it's it. It's all about the run-up. Um, you know, got to get the right speed, can't go too fast, can't go too slow, oh. and then... Arm strength. OK, it's all about the run-up. Uh, can't wait to see you put a couple through <laughs> into the onion bag, but all of us have enjoyed, enjoyed chatting so much. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. The onion bag. <laughs> the onion bag. Have you given any thought to you might have played your last AFL game? Not yet. No. no. What was it? I got told a story. Madden and Danaher in 92 or 93 played a whole year of the twos. People don't remember that. No. And in 10 years' time, they're not going to go, oh, rough finished in the twos. <laughs> so you're not, you're not worried about legacy or that it, it it just take a bit of edge off? Why? I reckon my story's pretty cool already. Yeah, no, I, that's not me saying that. Well, you asked the question. <laughs> it wasn't written anywhere in my notes. <laughs> I'm not reading your notes. <laughs> this has been a Fox Sports production.